You're listening to episode number 45 of the Self-Care Sunday podcast, a minimalist media project by Kaylee Reed. Every Sunday only on Sundays, I'll release a new podcast episode exploring topics like mental health, entrepreneurship, feminism, and of course, self-care. This week's episode is an interview with a British guest. I think she's our first British guest. Her name is Essie Dennis, and she is a force to be reckoned with. She is a British model. She's an academic who just finished her master's degree. She is an eating disorder recovery advocate and an outspoken feminist. And at the time of recording this interview, she has around 65,000 followers on Instagram, which also makes her an influencer in my eyes. She posts a lot about mental health, body positivity. If you're not already following her account, it's at Cal, K-H-A-L underscore Essie, E-S-S-I-E, and you should definitely give her a follow. This interview, we get into her mental health journey, we talk about eating disorder recovery, as well as some feminist issues like sexual assault and the kind of crazy misogynist comments that she gets in her DMs. And we wrap up the episode by talking about how we can better educate people that we might have different opinions on and how we can go about having those conversations when you might be emotionally exhausted from trying to educate people about these topics that are so near and dear to us. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Well, I grew up in London. Well, I was born in London. I moved up around quite a lot, but London is for sure my home. And I suppose I do say I'm a model like part time, but obviously because I'm really obsessed with academia as well, I do call myself an academic. So it's it's hard to to decide exactly what I am. <laughs> um, and I find that modeling and academia doesn't always go hand in hand, which I hope will change. But I would say, yeah, model and academic. And what are you studying? I've finished my studies now so I'm like working on publishing pieces so I was studying English and film uh, for my master's which I finished in September and now it's a case of like publishing things applying for a PhD going in that direction with it alongside modeling. So we originally connected over mental health advocacy so I'd love if you would share your mental health story as a context to who you are. So to be honest, mental health for me, I, I hadn't really addressed the fact that I'd had any difficulties until I was an adult. Um, I, I almost didn't consider my eating disorder when I was younger as a mental health issue um, because I, the world sort of focuses on it as a physical issue. Um, and obviously, as someone who has an eating disorder, you're kind of constantly thinking about your body. You don't really think that you've got anything almost going on in with your mental health so I didn't really address that you know I'd had severe issues with depression um, issues with obviously eating until I was about like 1920 which is when I started my account and when I, I think it was a year ago now I decided to actually start going to therapy and not because anything was a huge like hugely happening but I just thought you know this is the time to go through things you're an adult now you don't you don't have to keep yourself closed off. I was quite a closed off kid and teenager. Um, so it, it's been like a slow progression for me, actually saying, yeah, I need to sort out my mental health because we kind of all do need to keep an eye on it. <laughs> it's not like a huge thing where it's like, oh, like 
oh I've got depression and it's a huge thing like you can just go through stages when your mental health is worse and sometimes it's better and you just have to kind of roll with it so that's where I am at the moment (laughs) I think yeah and you mentioned you started your Instagram when you were like 20 19 or 20 um yeah were you open about your mental illness on Instagram from the beginning like was that kind of the reason that you started it or was it something that happened afterwards um so it was I kind of just started as my personal little Instagram account and then I started posting a few modeling pictures um and I'd kind of so I think it was my second year of uni so yeah for me I was yeah 1920 um and I was I was very uncomfortable with my body and I remember sitting down and, and feeling really uncomfortable with food and just realizing how unhappy I was and the problem was I, I wasn't really putting myself out there so I decided like you're not better you still have problems with eating but why don't you just start putting yourself out there the way you are and hopefully you'll start to feel better about it so that's kind of what I did I started with just putting modeling photos up and then slowly I kind of started to put in like actually how much my eating disorder affected me but I mean when I look at my old posts they're nowhere near as open as they are now like it's a gradual process you get more and more used to it like I can't like I look back at posts and I'll just be like oh I wasn't even saying anything there <laughs> it was just like I'll be like you're not being open at all <laughs> I was just like for god's sake <laughs> what is this post about <laughs> whereas now I talk like really really openly about it but it, it was a process I think um as, mm-hmm. as someone who people wouldn't assume I'm not naturally open but I'm not <laughs> I'm naturally quite closed off I don't really like getting into my emotions very much so it, it was actually quite interesting that that was what my account became And I also think it's interesting the way that you talk about kind of your self-perception, but also your interest in modeling. And so has your experience in modeling played any role, do you think, in your mental health journey? Or do you see a big connection kind of between fashion, media, and eating disorders? I mean, yeah, there's a... There's a huge connection. Anyone who says that that isn't is just lying to themselves at this point. You know, when I was working, when I was younger, you know, people would be, you know, feeling faint on set because they hadn't eaten anything before their shoots. And these were young girls. These were, you know, 15, 16 year old girls. Um, you know, it, it is a huge problem. I know it still is. I mean, obviously, I'm so I used to be more into the kind of straight sized modeling because I was smaller. And then now have kind of progressed into like more body positive um, modeling kind of uh, jobs and things like that. Um, but there, there was a huge problem when I was growing up and everyone was very obsessed. I think one of the things I remember quite um, quite vividly is that people used to check uh, how big their wrists were after they'd like eaten, because apparently, I don't even know if this is true, everyone just used to do it. Um, your wrists expand when you've eaten. I have, wow. like, I don't, I have no idea. This probably isn't even true, but everyone used to say it, and it was this thing that everyone used to do, hmm. where they checked to just make sure that their wrists were still the same size. I, it was just a, like just after a shoot, and then they'd, you know, after the shoot, they would start eating again because they'd be like, "Fine, we've got it." But it, it was quite, it was quite intense, and I, I don't think that it's that my eating disorder was entirely to do with that. Um, but modeling does unfortunately create a culture of like body checking which I think mm-hmm. is what most of that was, you know, even for agencies, you've got to tell them if you put on weight, if you lose weight, if you look a certain way, because they basically have to know. And so you are constantly checking your body and your measurements. There is something slightly unhealthy about that um, in itself. And so how did you get into modeling in the first place? 
you know what's funny when I was younger I was just always I just always wanted to get into it my mum had Vogue around the house constantly I just I always wanted to model it was something that was interesting to me and I was like even when I was about eight years old and my mum was always interested in fashion my mum had a different body shape than me she was very little she was quite thin um whereas I had a completely opposite body shape uh which you know was obviously a little difficult for me um but yeah I, I got into it when I was properly when I was about the 12 13 um bearing in mind That's I was young. diagnosed I know it's it's wow. it's, young, it's young it wasn't like properly getting into it but I was diagnosed with uh what's well, firstly with bulimia when I was 12 so that was before I'd properly started modeling but obviously it was on my radar and it was very young for me to be diagnosed as well though I do believe it was it was going on before that anyway um so yeah it, it, it was very young it was sort of with you know pageanty type stuff at the beginning and then slowly it just it just changed um as I got older and older but yeah it's, it's been a long time at this point what is it like 11 years now yeah, <laughs> it's been a long time. Wow. so going from being a straight size model to plus size model did you have any different experiences with the industry or do you think that the industry still has a lot of work to do towards being more inclusive um I mean the first thing is plus size modeling basically wasn't a thing when I was younger like it's very quickly become something plus size models almost they they did exist but they weren't used in the way they are now like there weren't plus divisions really you had occasional kind of famous people who also happened to be plus size models and they would be doing it but it wasn't really a thing it it's getting better but unfortunately we're in a situation now where for one you have to have a lot of followers as a plus size model like it's almost like as a plus size model you can't just be a model you also have to be some kind of body positive activist hmm. um to be allowed to do so like it's like you are put into specifically into diverse campaigns like you're here to be a token diverse person in this diverse campaign people aren't really using plus size models like they use straight models straight size models like they're you know and there's not like a there are a huge amount of us but the people that are being used are the same people over and over again the most famous people are constantly being put in every single campaign. So the problem with that is that there's not actually any distribution of any of the work, really, that they are still completely tokenizing people. And they'll and they'll also do like one diversity campaign and then go back to just using mm-hmm. straight size models. So I'm, I'm a little cynical, personally. <laughs> I think there's a really big way to go. I think that body positivity and that community plays a large role and kind of goes hand in hand almost with the mental health community and eating disorder recovery. What have these communities given you and what do you think we can do better in these communities? I mean, I credit the body positive community for helping me overcome my eating disorder because honestly, becoming part of the community really did help me. It was it was almost just a sense of seeing people who looked like me. They didn't even have to really be saying anything. It's just seeing yourself in others, not feeling like your body is somehow freakish, not feeling like there's something strange about you and no one is like you, because that's kind of how I grew up. So I know that there's there's a lot of important things that are being said, and I think it's really amazing, but there's also just the very the basic thing of being represented. And so now I feel like there's a real problem because there are a lot of people and with certain kind of essentially pretty much acceptable bodies taking over spaces that that are there for people whose bodies are marginalized. Um, 
and you know you have to be careful with that I have to be careful with that you know I'm not you know I'm not a fat woman I am quite a small plus size model I have to you know that's kind of why I stick quite a lot to eating disorder recovery and try to keep everything that's body positive at least not feeling like it's taking over someone else's space I try to think about that a lot but at the moment we are having an issue with the way kind of social media works is that people who are still pretty much acceptable are kind of being hailed um, over other bodies that aren't really being seen. Um, And it's a problem. And I know a lot of people are getting really fed up with it at the moment, um, especially as they've put a lot of work into the community and, you know, they're being kind of squashed a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I really appreciate that you speak so openly about eating disorder recovery. And I think that's probably the reason that I followed you in the first place or that we somehow ended up being connected is because Mm -hmm. I have struggled with eating disorders in the past as well. And one of the things that has been on my mind lately is this idea of full recovery versus kind of always working on recovery. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. I think I have like a vague memory of a post you did actually about, I I think you it was a while ago now so your feelings may have changed um but you said you didn't think there was like a a possibility for full recovery did you put the post up about that is that um yeah so it's it's interesting that you remember that because that was probably mm, maybe two years ago that somebody had asked me that or it was again on my mind and my opinion at the time was that recovery is kind of something that you are always working on and always working towards and that mental illness or eating disorders can kind of always have some bit of a hold on you. Um, That was when I was maybe one year quote unquote recovered, meaning that I was not doing any treatment, but you know, our (laughs) one year after I wasn't really at a place where I should have been talking about it probably. Um, And recently, I think it was last week, somebody asked me the same question. And my opinion, yeah, my opinion actually changed um, to almost the opposite because now I am in a place where I never, like, I never have that eating disorder brain speaking to me. Um, It's not something that I think about. It's not something that I'm affected by daily anymore like I used to be. And so I am at a place where I do feel like, quote unquote, full recovery is possible, but there's a lot of kind of tangent or uh, prerequisites to that, I think. And so one of the things that I said was like, there needs to be support, access to resources, uh, purpose, uh, love in your life. Like there's so many factors that can add up to being able to reach that recovery, but not all of those things are accessible to everyone. Not all of those things, not everybody has all of those things. So that's kind of where my viewpoint is now, um, kind of being in a place where I feel like I'm recovered. But I'm curious yeah. what, what your thoughts are. So the reason I remember that post is because I did something kind of similar. So it was such a long time ago now. I think it was basically when I started my account, when I was kind of acting like I was recovered, when I wasn't, mm-hmm. when I hadn't really maybe self-reflected enough. Um, and I did, and it wasn't an interview, an article type of thing, where I said I didn't think you could truly recover. And then someone messaged me and she was a girl I knew at university um, and she was a very sweet message. And and she was just like, oh, I, I saw I read that and I, I, 
I really liked hearing you talk about it, but I, I thought you might want to know that I've actually fully, fully recovered and, and, and you can too, like you really can. Like she was just trying to explain, she was like, I never think about it anymore, kind of the same stuff you're saying now. And she was like, honestly, like you can. And I kind of was a bit shocked because I was like, oh, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, can you actually, fully like I was like completely like, oh, I guess, I guess. That, that's crazy I, I hadn't thought you could and that was a really big moment for me I don't think I ever really explained it to her because I didn't know her very well um but that was a big moment where I was like oh wow so you can actually recover and be recovered and it's not going to be happening anymore <laughs> like yeah. I was it was like a mind-blown thing I don't really think it's talked about enough the fact that you can recover like I, I genuinely don't like I just thought I would it would always be haunting me Mm-hmm. Um, I thought and, and that's why I had a bit of a breakdown about it anyway because I remember sitting there thinking I, it was this one time when I was like eating a banana and I was crying because I was scared to eat the banana because I, I don't know it had carbohydrates in it it was something like that um, and I just sat there like I can't be this unhappy for my whole life and so it meant a lot for her to say that to me to be like you can recover because I realized I didn't have to be unhappy forever that was more what she was saying almost right. to me wow oh I have goosebumps yeah. from that <laughs> That's such a, it's so it amazing is. that you remember that as like a pivotal moment. Yeah, I feel like I should message her. Um, <laughs> I also did the podcast because it was just like, it was, it was a, a big moment. I don't know if she even realized it at the time. Um, but yeah, that's, that's why I remembered your post because I remember it. I don't think it was that long afterwards that I saw your post. Um, and I was like, ooh. Okay, and I don't think I knew you very well then at that point, but I was like, oh, so that you're kind of saying the same thing I was saying, but I was then in a place thinking, oh, actually, you can recover type of a thing. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But I think I was too scared to message you. <laughs> <laughs> I should have. I should have. Well, <laughs> I don't know why I didn't. Well. <laughs> I wasn't as used to putting myself out there then. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's so interesting that we have kind of parallel um, thought processes and feelings about recovery kind of when you're in that very early stages of quote-unquote being recovered and probably really not fully recovered obviously Mm -hmm. because we're both kind of having those feelings that it's always going to be there but when you really like you really can get to a place where it's something that doesn't cross your mind in a day and yet three or four years ago like I could never imagine that like I would wake up in the morning and the first thing that you think is oh my god I'm so depressed I don't want to get out of bed and now just before we jumped on this call I was like oh Essie I I think I like mornings now like I might do this more often (laughs) (laughs) it's wild but like and I think what's frustrating for me is that I don't always know how to iterate the step that I took to get here because now I am at this really wonderful place and I'm so grateful to be here. But having people reach out and ask, well, how how did you do it or what what can I do? It's like, well, I know what worked for me and I know that what worked for me might not be accessible to you, might not be even a reality or a possibility to you. So that I think is the hardest part for me now um, within kind of the mental health community and why I've kind of stepped out a little bit is because I feel like I almost don't have the same insights to offer because I'm not in it anymore. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I, I Obviously, I get that that kind of question as well like how did you recover how do you feel good about yourself like people like and I can feel their desperation from people sometimes Mm -hmm. when I'm talking to them and I I, it's it's really hard to explain it's it's almost like it's it's a long process like you can't just say to someone it's going to be easy and quick like 
it took years, years. to get over it. Yeah. yeah, that that is kind of what happened, especially if you know if it's been there since you were a kid. And and I've been looking into you know how young kids with kind of eating disorders are, and you have kids as young as six and seven with eating disorders thinking they're too fat or having kind of like you know binge eating disorders and then fasting and then just getting into strange rhythms with their food that that isn't helpful to them and not really knowing what to do so you know it can start that young (laughs) so if it's been going on for a long time and now you're an adult and you're trying to get over it just think about how long you have actually been dealing with it um and how long it's then going to take to recover. And I think that's what I don't always like to say to people because I don't want to deter people from recovery. I don't want to make them feel like it's like a horrible slog because honestly, I feel like along the way of recovery, you have these great moments. Like you have these moments where it's like, oh, I didn't think at all about eating that. And you'll just suddenly be like, oh, (laughs) you know, you'll have like a great moment of just like, I just did, and you'll notice these things and it's so great. So I, I understand why it's hard to explain, especially when you're not in it anymore, because you don't always want to go back there, do you? You don't always want to look at what was going on. And also, it's hard to remember sometimes. I mean, mm, for me, like physically, mm-hmm. it's hard to remember because I was starving myself. You know, I my memory, my brain was foggy all the time. I didn't know what was going on. There's a lot of things where I genuinely can't remember big chunks because I was, you know, depriving myself so much of food that my brain wasn't working properly. But yeah, I'm glad we've had parallel experiences with that. It, it, I think that's one of the great things about having recovery accounts in general is that people realise they're not alone in how they they interact with food and, and their journeys and things like that. Yeah, well, I think just hearing other people say something and then feeling, wow, that exact same thing happened to me. Like you just saying right now that you uh, struggled with your memory. I'm sitting here like, yep, I have portions of university that I feel like I just blocked out because I don't because you're right like when you are when you're physically doing that to yourself like it affects your brain it affects so much more than just your outward appearance and your body Um, and when I think about also the timeline and how you're saying like some kids now are struggling with this from such young ages like I in a sense was lucky that I didn't develop anything until my adulthood. Um, But when I think about it, I think it was maybe two or three years that I was struggling and then probably a full two or three years to become fully recovered. So almost the entire timeline that I was struggling, it took that same amount of time for me to get to a place where I don't think about it at all and I'm not affected by it daily, which is wild. It's like it's it takes so much to get out of it yeah and and I think you don't like when you look back you're like wow I can't believe I did that that's super cool of me <laughs> that I managed to do that especially if you know you didn't like I I had so many problems with like mental health support um one of the main things and because it's eating disorder awareness week I was going to talk about this anyway on my page um you know when I was 15 I, I wasn't doing well with my eating but I hadn't really lost an awful lot of weight, you know, so I was, it was initially I was diagnosed with bulimia and then it was kind of before Ednos was a thing, like they were kind of saying, so they were like, oh, well, you're bulimic and you're anorexic and stuff. And they were a bit confused. So obviously it was, <laughs> you know, it was just, there was a lot of stuff going on. Um, and I was at like a kind of counselling service that worked with kids and the woman was like, oh, well, you're not exactly wasting away. So we're going to have to work with other kids first. Mm because you're not really thin enough. Wow. And I was like, 
okay. And I did progressively get smaller from that moment. Mm -hmm. So that these are people who are in charge. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I could get the help I needed Mm -hmm. in a way. Like you half want help, you half don't. There's a lot of kind of mixed feelings, I think, when you're in the pit of your ED because you're always feeling quite miserable, yet you think your happiness is going to be, you know, when you're smaller or the less you eat, which continually makes you more miserable and you want to get out of it. So, yeah, I was basically... I basically did get thinner after that and and this is someone who is you know supposed to be <laughs> aware of these types of things mm-hmm. um yeah that's what so that was how many years ago was that like do you think that it's changed since then um well I want to say yes but the thing is I have kind of talked about that before on my account and so so many people are saying yeah the doctor wouldn't help me mm. because I wasn't thin enough this is obviously a problem. Um, the idea of what people with eating disorders are supposed to look like is detrimental. And in fact, there's just been a study about how detrimental it is to people being able to get help. Um, we really, like, it is really important that we we categorize it as a mental health problem. It, 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 you can't just look at someone and be like, I think you're okay. Mm-hmm. That That just can't be the way that we deal with it. But it kind of was the way that it was being dealt with when I was younger and I it's clearly from what my followers are saying to me still something that is a problem yeah um, I mean even the other day my my mum was like oh oh I don't like the look of that model she looks anorexic and I was like <laughs> mum you can't look anorexic <laughs> she's just a thin person I know I know and she was just like ah, the, the the problematic parent situation <laughs> um, <laughs> um and I was just like, you know, she's she's a thin girl, but she doesn't look anorexic. Yeah. So you don't look anorexic, mm-hmm. you know. That's it's bad that that is part of our language, but I think it is. Yeah, and that's another thing that is so overwhelming when we're talking about getting better in the community because sometimes people are doing everything right. They're reaching out. They're you know, working on their self-care and yet they're not getting the help that they need because of stigma, because of X, Y, and Z. So that's something I find really frustrating as well as like, you know, the advocates are doing a lot of work, but there's so much systematically that needs to change in order for people to actually be able to get better sometimes. I mean, yeah, that, this is a huge problem. And I've, I've talked about this before, because especially on like, you know, big mental health, you know, days and stuff, it's like, reach out to someone. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we actually need professional help for people, like people who are close to you or kind of advocates and stuff, they can do as much as as much as possible. But they're also not actually trained professionals. We need people who genuinely understand eating disorders and understand wide ranging eating disorders to be able to help people. But this is true of kind of all mental health. I mean, obviously, I'm in England. It might be a little bit different to like what's going on in in Canada. But here we have we're having huge cuts to mental health funding. Like it's appalling. It is so impossible to get any kind of therapy um kind of counseling sort of stuff on the nhs like i even had to as a student pay to get therapy like i decided because they wouldn't give me it because they were like because i'm quite high functioning and Mm -hmm. i went and i was quite depressed during my ma and i'm a very high functioning depression depressive so i went and they were like sorry like there are other people who are worse and it's like we can't have a system like that where we you know we just let that happen to people so i had to end up paying out of like the little money that I had Mm -hmm. um so 
it, it's it's not a good system at the moment it uh, there's just not enough support for people unfortunately yeah and that's very much how it is in Canada as well um the student health systems are pretty good in the sense that you get a lot of free access to things but again it's you're put on a wait list sometimes you only get to see somebody like once or twice a semester maximum. And then what happened to me is as soon as you're out of the university system, you lose all of that. So yes, we yeah, have same, we same. have free healthcare, but in Canada, at least a lot of mental health care isn't covered by that. So you have to pay out of pocket to see a psychologist, to see a therapist, to see any kind of professional like that. And it gets really pricey. Yeah. It's I, I was just so lucky during my MA that I happened to find a therapist who said to me I'll make it as cheap as I possibly can for you um and she did um and I was so grateful for that because I said to her look I'm not going to be able to come anymore if unfortunately and and I was really sad about it and she was she was obviously just such a caring person in general and she was like I'll make sure that it's as little as I can and she gave me basically a a student type discount and I was really grateful because that was really a helpful service to have and I just feel like I'm I'm so sad that more people are not able to get it but I mean currently the system with the NHS like we're having so many problems over here anyway um I don't even know where it's gonna go but it is worrying to me especially because so many people are having problems with their mental health Mm -hmm. and I think increasingly which is the scary thing okay so this is getting really sad (laughs) Um, I want to switch gears a little bit. Sometimes it gets to a place where I'm like, "Um, okay, well, we can't solve the mental health system in this podcast episode today. So let's move on. Um, I I do want to talk about feminism because that's another thing that I love about your account is that you're a very outspoken feminist on a variety of issues. And I'd love to get a sense, maybe first of all, of what issues are most important to you right now and maybe why you got into feminism, which I don't know. For some people, there's like a moment and for others, it's just been a part of them for so long. But curious to hear your story. Yeah, I mean, I've been a feminist, like I've been part of a feminist family. So you know, since the moment I was born, there was never even any doubt. Um, And I've also been part of a very kind of political family like I knew a lot about politics from a very young age um, a lot about kind of oppression a lot about these these types of things because also I come from a, a very poor family uh, so you know I didn't grow up particularly I, I was working class but not quite as you know my mum grew up in poverty type of a thing um, so I was always aware of that type of thing and you know my mum was always kind of like protesting at university and it was just kind of a part of what we talked about we always talked about these types of issues we always had to be aware of these types of issues um which I'm glad about really but yeah I mean I I think I think I got more political about my feminism when I went to university which I think is natural um especially Mm -hmm. you know I was doing a very I was doing an English degree but it was a very political English degree you know that just the the modules I chose I was just always very um involved and I think also the older I got um and the more I became a presence online the more I actually experienced misogyny I I hadn't particularly experienced it to and obviously maybe like I had there were little kind of microaggressions here and there obviously growing up I had dealt with men kind of over sexualizing me from a very young age 
Um, but I hadn't, I hadn't experienced the sort of outright kind of aggressive misogyny that I experience online on a daily basis. And it just, it made me very angry, but it, it kind of, I tried to like harness the anger to be like, I'm just going to speak out about this now because it's not fair that I should be feeling uncomfortable about talking openly about feminism when I have guys constantly harassing me, you know? And so, okay, if somebody's living in a box and <laughs> um, maybe hasn't seen your account or is totally b- blind or unaware of the misogyny that happens online to feminists and body positive accounts like yours, can you give an example of what that looks like? So it's different for everyone. I think for me, um, I get a lot of kind of sexual comments, but it's not like that none of them are ever kind of phrased as like, oh, I think you're pretty, you're nice kind of a thing in a in a kind of respectful way. It's always very, <laughs> um, it, <laughs> not that I want that either, but I know it's just like, you seem lovely. <laughs> um, yeah. um, but it, it's always very, very sexual. And especially, you know, I'll put a post up um, and I'll be talking about my cellulite and I'll be talking about body positivity and some guy will say something that I'm not going to say <laughs> say on the podcast. Yeah, but say please something don't. Very, <laughs> imagine if I just came out with it. Um, um, we'll say something that is just so utterly disgusting, like really graphic, horrible stuff. Mm. Um, and then I will kind of be like, don't say that, you know, F off type of thing. Um, and then I have had lots of situations where I will then get messages from them um, threatening me, threatening my life, threatening to assault me um threatening to assault people I know threatening to find out where I am um (gasps) that like do you respond to a lot of them or is it usually a block and delete situation I I've I've tried I try to decide every time I get one I have a different feeling almost I don't really ever respond to them anymore I did when I was a little bit younger and was just like how dare you um Mm -hmm. whereas now it's like it's like okay my, I don't think I can deal with this I can't deal with these kinds of threats um there have been times where I thought should I send them to the police but if they don't really have that many safeguards for women online unfortunately that is kind of the extreme stuff I get I I, I do also get things that are just irritating for instance you know guys trying to explain something that I have a degree in to me um, <laughs> and I'll just be like nope 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 and I'll be like okay fine it's not like I actually do this for a living <laughs> um, um, but you know the 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 worst stuff I, t- I tend to just sort of stay away from you know arguments are a little bit easier it's more like debate it's 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 easier to mm-hmm. get along with but when it's it's so aggressive it's it's quite mind-blowing um, and usually it's just based around me rejecting them but I've seen a lot of um ones from other people's accounts that are also much worse and honestly like people will say oh you shouldn't be putting photos online without your clothes on if you don't want that um for one there's lots of issues with that but one of the main things I want to say is that actually all women online kind of do get it like once you have enough of a following all women online get this Mm -hmm. people who have their clothes on all the time get it people who are completely covered up get it it's the same argument like it's it's just it's just null and void so I I think the issues with sexual assault have been mainly on my mind. 
um, mostly because even personally, when all this Me Too stuff started happening, all the women around me started talking about the times when they'd been assaulted or almost assaulted or harassed. We all suddenly started to get much more open about it. And it was kind of worrying. I remember having a day where I kind of just burst into tears because I was like, and I was sitting with my boyfriend and he was like, kind of like, what's wrong sort of thing. And I was just like, it's just endless. Like, it, we're just, mm-hmm. we're just always supposed to be afraid. Like, we're always going to be afraid and it's going to happen to all of us. Like, I remember just being in such a pit of it because I just realized all of my friends had had some kind of, all the people close to me had been assaulted. And it was just one of those moments was like we can't continue to live like this and it's also because of the the level of gaslighting that happens with it the level of people not believing you the level is just absurd to me um and the fact that people just aren't put away for it it just it just feels like a real injustice it's been really heartbreaking to see so many people talk about that lately over the past year or has it been two years now since yeah. me too i don't even know um but similar to what you said like it's it's wild to know that almost every woman in your life has experienced that and mm-hmm. something and something that i've struggled with in in the feminist i guess in my feminist journey is how do you deal with that anger and that frustration and that sadness without letting it overcome you so that you can be a good advocate. I don't know. Maybe it's the same steps as as self-care and mental health self-care. Um, but that's something that I've struggled with is kind of getting to a point where you can articulate why these issues are so important without being so emotionally invested in them. Yeah, it's so hard because obviously if you're emotional as a woman you are treated like whatever you're saying just doesn't mean anything Mm -hmm. and it's just utterly meaningless um so it it is really really difficult and I'm still trying to get around it I mean personally I am a little bit of a hothead as a person (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately um and I do try really hard not to be like that um as much I do try to be level-headed but there are just these moments where you just do kind of lose it um, which I've had um, and I don't necessarily always think it's productive outwardly but sometimes I think it's productive inwardly it's almost like you're allowed to be angry about this you're allowed to be you you don't have to your anger doesn't always have to be useful I think it should be a lot of the time especially when you're kind of being an advocate like you harness your anger use it productively um, but sometimes it it's necessary for us to be like absolutely like livid about this kind of thing um Mm -hmm. because I think that does also get things done you know angry people get a lot of things done um um, but yeah I think it it's just not holding on to your anger so much that it paralyzes you and that you feel you can't do anything and you feel like everything's hopeless um you know I for me because the way I feel is sometimes I just get overwhelmed by it you know how like when everyone's saying it's happened to them when you're constantly feeling uncomfortable walking around the street at night you just you know all of these things are constantly culminating it feels overwhelming so it's almost like you have to just funnel yourself down a little bit and maybe help others and help yourself in kind of a a smaller community first if that Mm. makes sense you know start things Mm -hmm. start small and get big that's always what I've thought that's what I did with my account at the beginning it was it had like what 200 people on it (laughs) at first (laughs) you know what is it four years ago now so it's that type of thing starting with helping a friend 
changing our mindset. You know, I've had friends who don't even want to admit that what they happened to them was assault, you know, Um, Mm. they don't even want to admit that was really what went on. So it's even stuff like that, like helping them, helping each other personally. But it's hard, man. It's it's, it's a tough line to draw. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's good advice, though, starting small and kind of not letting the big picture of things overwhelm you as an advocate. Um, something I admire about you is that you are very critical and researched, which makes sense given that you are an academic, (laughs) Um, but on issues that you are not necessarily studying. Uh, From what I've seen of your account and your advocacy, you tend to look at both sides of things a lot before you speak on them. And I guess when talking to people about feminism, or mental health, or this comes in terms to kind of all of these communities that we've talked about. I see a lot of people uh, kind of using the defense mechanism of go educate yourself mm-hmm. uh, when they're having a discussion and, you know, somebody asks a question that could maybe easily be answered by quote unquote educating themselves. But how does one do that? Because my fear and I think my dislike of that uh, defense mechanism is that if somebody types into Google pro-life versus pro-choice, they're going to see the pro-choice side, but they're also going to see the pro-life side. So they're educating themselves on whatever comes up. It's not necessarily what you want them to see and what you want to educate them on. So I think that that's a, it's a faulty way to get people to come to an understanding on these, on these issues. Um, What would your advice be in how does, how to better do that? So, yeah, I've seen that as a kind of, I'm not going to tell you go and educate yourself type of thing. And I do actually understand both sides of that because as someone who has a big account, it, it's annoying if, you know, someone expects you to do the research for them. So I do understand that in itself. But at the same time, I think if you do have a big presence, you do also have a certain responsibility to be the educator. It's a difficult one. I also think it's important to give resources to people. So, for instance, you don't actually have to sit there and explain everything to them. Like someone doesn't come up to me and say, you know, I I can't remember what it was. Someone asked me because I was talking about um, LGBTQ rights in India and they asked me something about it. So instead of me going into a big spiel, I sent them resources that I felt would be helpful for them. Um, and would be necessary. This is my academic side coming out. Mm-hmm. Just like, here's your reading. <laughs> um, <laughs> Do your homework. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I think it's almost sometimes the best thing to do to, you know, the people that inspired you and educated you and helped you, you then pass on to other people. Um, it doesn't actually have to be you. You don't have to be doing, uh, you know, inordinate amounts of labor because. I do understand that side of it where you're like, good God, do I now have to explain the entire feminist movement to you? <laughs> Bloody Barry on Instagram, <laughs> you know? So it's that type of thing. Yeah, no, I think that's kind of the perfect answer. And that's kind of what I would say too, is just instead of saying, go educate yourself, but not pointing people in any kind of direction to give them which sources are best to be educated from, which sources are problematic, that sort of thing. Um, I think that's what I would like to see more happen in these spaces is just like at least providing 
resources and a direction when we're when we're saying this to people rather than just uh I can't talk to you bye <laughs> yeah exactly it, it, it's strange um I suppose I'm trying to think there was there was an old amazing James Baldwin quote that I've completely forgotten now which is upsetting um <laughs> which I will try and find um but he kind of talks about the you know if you are from a if you do have education you almost have a responsibility to educate others that's what we as human beings all have to do um with one another so that we that you know we're passing it on to each other and I do believe that you know I want to eventually be an educator be a professor I just think it's I think it's one of the most amazing things you can do like I just think teaching people is amazing and I've had some great experiences online where I've debated with people and people who I really didn't think were ever going to agree with me (laughs) people who just you know they come on and just be like oh feminists to this and that and have a long conversation with them and then they'd be like oh I see what you mean thanks for talking to me and it's just a really Mm. insane type of thing to hear you're just kind of like oh my gosh they've just they've really just connected and you've actually changed something like to change something even for one person is 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 pretty important in my opinion. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's a really good place to end this. 